The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 113 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in again with us this week. We've got a great, great show for you. My guest this week, Ken Williams, is just a fantastic, fantastic author. Uh, He has a new book out that we're going to talk about quite a bit. And actually, at the end of our conversation, after the conversation, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my personal experience with uh, his book and his views on ministering. So you'll want to stay tuned to check that out. But it's just an uplifting, great conversation. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'll share a little bit about the magic of families. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today it is my pleasure to have here in the Latter-day Live studios, not only an old friend who I have not seen in a very, very long time, but a prolific writer and author (laughs) with a new book. Was it the word prolific that made you laugh? (laughs) (laughs) It depends on who you talk to, I guess. I think it's prolific because we're going to talk about uh, ministering and chocolate cake and all kinds of things. But Ken Williams, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Oh, man, it's good to see you. So Ken and I grew up together. Uh, in fact, uh, I know Ken's, most of Ken's family, but uh, tell us, I guess that gives it away as to where you're from, but tell us anyway, where are you from? I grew up in San Jose, San Jose, California, yeah. South Stake. What a great place. So tell us a little bit about uh, life growing up and your family. Life growing up, I'm the oldest of, I think it's six kids. You think? <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> and um, growing up, I was not I was not a social person, and I knew certain people. I remember you. I remember Dave. I remember I knew Russ pretty well, but um, was not uh, not comfortable in social situations. You would call me, I guess, today in uh, the language we use today. I'd be uh, suffer from some some anxiety and just incredibly shy and introverted. See, and I don't remember that, because I just remember you as being a nice guy, but I didn't know you I, that well. I'm pretty sure I was and, a nice guy. Well, I mean, you know, but 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 it didn't. I didn't think he's a nice and super quiet guy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know, because I, that's, that's the, the childhood that I remember. I remember your sister being very social, uh-huh. Annette, yeah. who's just awesome. And that's all right. I like her. Yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> but so you grew up in a Latter-day Saint family. Mm-hmm. Grew up... Um, Born, parents are members of the church, still active, and and uh, served a mission, and uh, married in the temple, and and yeah, you've been the, active all all the way through, all the way through. When you were in like growing up, what were you into? I was um, I was a tall, skinny kid, and finally, my senior year of high school, decided I wasn't much into athletics, but decided to go out for the track team, and ended up doing pretty well. Yeah, as a high jumper, and I wish I'd done that earlier, but I was just, I was kind of into um, studying and I actually did some writing back then and didn't didn't mm. do a whole lot more beyond that. Did anxiety play a role in the high jump, or like in not getting into maybe athletics or other things? Yeah, what I would do, I did piano lessons and was worried about, you know, we'd do the recitals and that sort of thing. That, I, I always felt nervous. I just felt, okay, that's just part of life. Um, 
I just didn't have a whole lot of of belief in in what I was capable of, mm. and so um, had plenty of excuses that I could make. When I was a senior, I decided I actually considered going out for the football team. And as a hundred and forty pound kid, mm. that was probably not the the place <laughs> for me. But the uh, the track team high jumper ended up uh, doing. I was one of the best in the school, which was not fantastic. I would have been a lot better had I actually um, pursued it for my whole career. Yeah, but um, you've just state. you've told me before you that you're a, you're a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Did that stop you? I know a lot of perfectionists. It's I'm not going to do this because I can't be perfect at it. Looking back, I think it was more I. I can't put this out because it's not done yet. It's not perfect yet. Mm. And I've heard uh, perfection is the enemy of good or yeah. good is the enemy of, however that goes, yeah, yeah. that putting something out that's that's good was never an option for me. I, I wanted it to be perfect because mm. I thought it was a reflection on me. So you finished high school. You served a mission. Where'd you serve your mission? Lisbon, Portugal. Yeah. What an incredible place. No? Beautiful. How was your mission? It was tough it was i loved it i loved the people but i also felt like i i had this i felt this pressure to open my mouth and and go out and meet people and that was just that was so hard for me to do going out and knocking on somebody's door and trying to speak portuguese how was uh, how was the language learning it came pretty easily for me in the mtc and i was good with the vocabulary with the grammar and things like that and i got out to the country and realized I have no idea what people are talking about. Yeah. And it took about three or four months for me to get to the point where I could really understand what people were saying. Do you still have that like deep love for Portugal? Oh, yes. Like a lot of missionaries have. Absolutely. In fact, not many people would notice, would know this, but in October, I think it was October of 2010, President Monson announced the Lisbon Portugal Temple. And then mm. right after that, the Indianapolis Indiana Temple, which is where I live. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was. That was a an incredibly special day for me, and yeah. so a month, just over a month ago, um, I made a quick tri- weekend trip to Lisbon to visit the open house and um, beautiful, right, was, beautiful temple. Were you able to do a weekend trip because of your job? Yes. Okay. I, yes. I want. I want to get Not anybody that in. Can do. because when, when people say I did a quick weekend trip to Lisbon, Portugal, tell us what you do for a living because we can't just throw out. You know, Ken, Ken doesn't have a private jet. I just want to make I wish, that clear. I wish. Uh, but maybe if we sell enough copies of the book, who yeah, that'd be nice. Jet. But tell us what you do. I work for FedEx, and FedEx is an airline, so we have some travel benefits, including flying standby. Yeah. So being able to fly out to Lisbon for a weekend was a, a financial possibility for me. And you didn't have to climb in a box or anything. No, no I actually got... fl- fly commercial airlines, and uh, but it was it's a beautiful temple. It was a wonderful experience to go out and visit people, and and something that I had not expected was when I went to do the tour, the um, the tour guide was about my same age. He was serving in Porto, which is which was a different mission at the same time I was serving in Lisbon. And he just looked at me, shook, shook my hand and said, thank you so much for what you did those all those years ago. How touching. What an amazing experience. It was, did it reconnect you back to your mission? It did. Actually, the area that I first served in is a couple of miles from where the temple is located. And so I got to go to this, the same branch building where I first went my first Sunday in Portugal. And it was, it was, I can't even put it into words. It was just a wonderful experience. Mm, awesome. Did you make any really close friends on your mission? People you still keep in touch with? A couple companions that I um, 
that I connected with, but these were the days before Facebook. And so there was, it has been really hard to connect with or to, to maintain those connections. For our younger listeners, these were the days before internet. <laughs> That's right. We didn't have cell phones. Yeah. We didn't have. I, it's actually, it's funny because when the announcement was made, uh, something very important to you that missionaries could call home, mm-hmm. you know, uh, every week or whatever. And people, there was some conjecture as to, well, why did it, happen now or why did it take so long when i was down in chile it wasn't an option you know i didn't have 15 20 a week to call home for five minutes in fact on my mission we were not allowed to call home at all so christmas mother's day we'd never i never talked to my parents once i left the the airport really yeah that's amazing because you're only a couple years older than i am was that 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 must have been mission specific probably was mission specific because you served about the same time as my brother todd did he was able to call home christmas and and Mother's Day. And I don't know if it was a, a financial decision or mm. what, but that was... Wow. So you come home from your mission? Where'd mm-hmm. you come home to? Came back to San Jose, spent a couple of months there, and there was a girl that I had been kind of seen before my mission, and she dumped me, and I haven't let her live that down, and we got back together, and a few months later, we were married. <laughs> is she from San Jose? No, she grew up in Indianapolis, which is how we ended up there. Yeah. That's amazing. So you guys started dating. She uh-huh. dumps you. Yep. Did you say you were dating before the mission or no? We dated before my mission for a few months. Yeah. And I got the phone call, Ken, we need to talk. And I knew that was not going to go well. And um, she told me that we needed to see other people. So that meant, of course, that there was somebody else that she was looking Yeah, there's at. never a, I think we should broadly see other people. That's <laughs> right. code. I mean, I'm sorry. That's code for, I think I should see someone. And she insists that there was nobody else, but... It uh, was just soul-crushing for me at the time, and and her rationale, and I totally support it. She didn't want to have this uh, waiting for a missionary hanging over her head during yeah. my mission, and um, it turned out great because yeah, while clearly. I was gone, she was dating other guys and decided that they just weren't what she was looking for. And so when I came back, we started dating up again, and I got back to BYU in February, and we were married in June. What? Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's fast. It was really fast. What did you study at BYU? Advertising. Mm. Where where did that come from? I remember in fourth grade doing a project where I had to create a a product and then write an ad for it. And I thought it was a lot of fun. So I decided to get into advertising. And then about a week before graduation, I thought, I don't want to do this. But I wasn't going to go back to school and, and finish. Uh, so this is a theme that has been on this show so many times of, I got my degree in X and now I do Y. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend that people try to figure it out first? Or do you like kind of your path? Choose something and then figure it out. I think there's value in, I think there's some people that absolutely know what they want. And I have no idea what I want. And so I, that opens things up. But as And as a perfectionist, my problem has been, what am I going to be good at? And so that's that's made some challenges. But um, I think that the experience, the college experience, has been tremendously valuable. The fact that I have a degree, tremendously valuable. Yeah. And um, there were experiences that I had, or there, there were things that I learned. Um, I took a creative writing class, for example, mm. in college. The, things that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise that yeah. I think have, have served me well. Right. In the last several decades. How many kids do you guys have? We've got uh, five kids. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. We went alphabetical. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got Allison, Brennan, Chris, Adult, and Edison. What? 
Was that like a choice to do it that way? Or? It, after Brendan, I think it was. Al, we liked Allison, the name. We, well, we like Allison anyways, but we like the name. Yeah. And uh, when Brendan came, we liked the name. And we realized we've got this pattern. Allison, seven letters. Brendan, B, seven letters. Carissa, we like the name Carissa. For yeah. a, a girl. It's a great name. And it's seven letters. My name, Kenneth, seven letters. My wife's name, Marcine, seven letters. We've got a pattern. We cannot, we can't stop. <laughs> so <laughs> we've got, when we had Dalton, we um, we had a problem because Dalton is only six letters. And my sister, Annette, uh, married a Dalton. Yeah. And yeah. she probably thinks that we're honoring her in some way by calling our... Our right. son Dalton. So we just threw an extra L in there. So his name is spelled with two L's. Did you really? We did. Does he just resent that or no, does he love he it? He thinks it's great. Dalton yeah. with two L's. He always tells people, that's my name is Dalton with two L's. Dalton with two L's. And then Edison, our last, is uh, same thing, six letters. So we had to throw a, an extra D in there. That's and hilarious. He's such a riot. He's That's really funny. How old is he? He's 12. Yeah, amazing. He's got month. a span. Yeah, we do. You guys spaced out your five kids. How old's your oldest? Twenty-five. Yeah, so you got a little bit of a, a few gaps there. When when did writing first come back into your life after after college? My moms and spouses tend to have a lot more belief and trust in people than than at least I had in myself. And so my mom has been telling me for decades that I needed to write. My wife has been telling me for about the same amount of time. You need to write. You need to tell your story. You need to write. And um, as a perfectionist, and also as somebody who's just struggled with with seeing what I, what I truly am, what I'm truly capable of, I just thought, they, they have to say that. It's my mom. It's my wife. They have to be nice to me. Yeah. And I uh, didn't realize that I was any good at it. And um, turned out that there was a... I, my position was eliminated at my job. And went to a, a workshop on how to network. I'm an, I'm an introvert. I don't tend to do well. I can force myself, but I don't tend to do well in social situations. I'd rather just kind of hang on the sidelines and watch. Mm. And I um, went to this networking um, workshop with a guy who's an amazing and very extroverted networker. And later on, he had put out a message on Facebook. He had written a book about networking and wanted to redo it. Um, tell the story instead of... Uh, a nonfiction type of uh, textbook and wanted a co-author. And I reached out and this was another one of those internal struggles. Yeah, I could do it. No, I don't, I'm not good enough. No. And I went back and forth several times and finally just hit send on the message to him that, yeah, give me a shot. And it worked out well. He uh, asked for a writing sample, gave me a chapter idea and uh, put this together in a story. And, and he wrote back and said, yeah, I like it. So we put together a book. That was my first book that I did. That's 21 Days to Success Through Networking. 21 Days to Success Through Networking. And there's a, a subtitle of this, The Life and Times of... Nick Roten. Nick Roten. Yeah. Wh- who's Nick Roten? Nick Roten is the fictional character that Ron, my co-author, uh, had come up with. Nick Roten is networking spelled backwards. I was going to say, what a weird spelling, G-N-I-K. <laughs> so is networking spelled backward. Right. I'll bet everybody else catches that. I've seen it now 20 times and never caught it. So, so that's the life and times of Nick Roten is networking yep. backward. Okay. So. so it's told through like the story of this fictional character? Yeah. Nick is a kid. Um, we made him kind of a young adult. Uh, off of his first job, decides to move to a city. We made it kind of nondescript so it 
really could apply to anybody. And he meets somebody, he meets Pam, who turns, it to be, turns out to be a, a mentor for him. And through his interactions with her, with other people, he starts developing a, a business networking, a business network. And it uh, is ironic to me that, that I wrote this thing, that, and these are principles that I have struggled with for my whole <laughs> life. So I wrote it. I actually wrote the story uh, for, for the introvert. Um, Interesting. And it's called 21 Days to Success Through Networking. Was it exciting when that got published? Oh, it was, it was yeah. How, how can you say more than yes? It was great. When I first got the copy, had it in my hand, these are my words, these are things that I wrote. It was amazing. Yeah. So are you still, do you still keep in touch with your uh, writing partner on that? Yeah, we uh, keep in touch periodically and, and we wrote a second book about LinkedIn. And those books are both still available? Yeah, they're both on Amazon. At the same time we did the, uh, the networking book, we were exploring the option of self-publishing because we decided we're going to publish the book. And if somebody's going to publish it, great. And if nobody's going to publish it, we're going to do it ourselves. Mm. So I started researching that. Um, we actually picked up a publisher, but since I had learned enough about self-publishing, my oldest daughter, who was getting ready to go to college, was frustrated with her grandmother. I don't know how much of the story I should tell. <laughs> no, whatever you're comfortable she was, telling. She was frustrated with the grandmother because she's getting ready for college and grandma's just getting on her nerves. And she, Allison, my oldest, said, Dad, you got to do something about grandma. No, 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 no. This is your story. This is your deal. I will back you up. But right now, grandma likes me. I don't want to ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> but I will support you in anything. Yeah. So my, grand, my mother-in-law is a grammar nut. That's probably a kind way of saying it. She hates the word irregardless. Yeah. One of my great talents is finding people's buttons and pushing them. <laughs> and so, so Allison, it was her idea. She said, Dad, we should write a book and let's call it Irregardless. Yeah. And so we did. And it's a grammar book. It's not a very good grammar book. It's not, it doesn't teach you anything about grammar. My, uh, I've got an Amazon review that says, this didn't teach me anything. Well, yeah. Read the introduction. It says, this is designed to irritate my mother-in-law. <laughs> an entire book to irritate your mother-in-law oh ken that is so funny by the way i am a little bit of a grammar guy myself oh you'd love this the title <laughs> you'd love the book what's funny is the title is irregardless and other grammar errors to irritate and annoy and you have an apostrophe on errors uh-huh. that i so want to delete it's driving me nuts <laughs> You spell the word to, T-O-O. Right. Yeah. I don't think I can And irregardless is the, it's got the the red squiggly line underneath that suggests that it might not be a word. Yeah. It's not a word. People love <laughs> irregardless. They do. Do you have a biggest grammar pet peeve for yourself? I don't know that I have a biggest pet peeve. We wrote the book. Allison helped me and it was a great project for the two of us How to do. How fun. And, so, and the great thing is for her, now she has a book with her name on it. Yeah. But I... I think good grammar is important. Yes. And when we we wrote the book and I proofread it, it was fun to proofread it because I would find something that I did right and I had to change it to so it would be wrong. And um, So the whole book is just a, a story with incorrect grammar. Right. So the chapter one, the chapter title is, Irregardless of what you think, irregardless is a word. And so I just go, this is like I were talking to my mother-in-law. You're going to tell me that it's not a word and I'm going to tell you you're wrong. If you look up, 
And you'll say, look it up in the dictionary. Well, I did. I looked up the word word in the dictionary. I didn't look up irregardless because that's not the point. The word word is, it's a, it's a system of characters that conveys meaning. Well, when I write irregardless, the meaning you get is, I really meant regardless. Yeah. Therefore, it's a word. So that's the, the it's eight chapters. It's very short. It's about 45 pages. And that's so we just... Funny. I don't we were, know if I could read that book, Ken. Like it, you talk about. We talked about anxiety earlier. It gives me anxiety. My 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 biggest biggest pet peeve is when somebody says, uh, "I did a total three sixty. Yep. <laughs> I, I Ken. I don't know why. It's like I want to smack them. It's the yeah. I used to feel this way, but I've done a total three sixty on it. So this is my way of smacking them, and it's kind of like an inside joke. And some of us are in on the joke. <laughs> So as we're driving, I was driving uh, Allison and her cousin Kate to, out to BYU-Idaho, and Kate was homeschooled, and her grandmother was her grammar teacher, her English, English teacher. And Kate said, Grandma hates run-on sentences. Oh, yes. <laughs> chapter eight, run-on sentences. So the whole chapter is two sentences long. <laughs> I love and hate this book so much. Like... I, I don't know that I could handle it because I'm, yeah, I have issues with run-on sentences too. It it just bothers me to no end. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So after Irregardless comes what looks to be a very personal book. Tell me about marriage advice to my daughter. So Allison is, we had a, um, you could probably call it a rocky relationship growing up. I was... She's my oldest, and I was trying to figure out how to be a dad, and I made a lot of mistakes. And um, she's she, a little unfair to our oldest children. Right? I'm an oldest child, and so I get it. Yeah, we learn but, through parenting. I'm sorry, We've never I'm done sorry. this before. So, and I love her. She's wonderful. She's traveling with us right now. But um, I knew that she would never ask me for marriage advice. But I had things that I would love to share with her, and I thought, what could I tell her? Mm. And so, and one of the great things about self-publishing is you can come up with an idea, you can write a book, you can have it in your hands within just a very short period of time. So I wrote this book, and it's about eight or nine chapters. What would I, what would I tell her if she, if she were to ask? I know she won't, but if she did, and it would be things that I think are are um, solid marriage advice. But my mom just before I got married said make sure you love her even when you don't like her. And I thought, I'm, we're so in love. We're such wonderful people. There's no way we would ever not yeah, like each other. That's actually really profound. It is. And so she didn't remember that she said that. So when my mom read the book, she said, wow, that's really good. Yeah, I got it from you. But it's, it's just things like that. One of them is, one of the chapters is, remember, you don't live here anymore. And it's not that I'm trying to kick her out. It's yeah. that you now have a new family unit. You and your husband have to create your own family. So don't think that that coming back home is going to solve your problems. You have to solve your problems mm. yourselves. It's just a 45-ish page book. Yeah. It's a short book. And the, the great thing about it is now I can change a cover. I can change a couple names. And now I've got a, a wedding gift for anybody I want. Yeah. And before we get into the new book, which I want to talk about a bit, um, how self-publishing, something mm -hmm. I know nothing about. I have no doubt that we probably have a hundred or more listeners right now thinking, Oh, I've got this book idea or I've got a book half written mm -hmm. or I've got a book I finished or my mom has a book. Where do they go? 
Ken, because you're you're churning out these books. <laughs> it's awesome, you know. And what it's advice so easy. Do you have? It's so easy. Um, Amazon is a, and there are other services as well, but Amazon sells books, and they make it really easy for aspiring authors to write and sell books. Okay, so if someone wants someone right now. We have a listener wants to. I, I have an idea for a book. Do they write it in what Microsoft Word? Do they write they do it, it in, in Word? Yeah, yeah. Um, Amazon. You can go Create Space is their their self publishing arm, and I think they're transitioning to KDP KDP Kindle Direct Publishing dot Amazon dot com. Just set up an account there. I think it's um, you can just transfer your your hmm. Amazon credentials, and they'll walk you right through the process. They'll you can download a template that you can use. You, they'll help you create the cover. They'll give you an ISBN. You don't have to put any money into it at all. You can get an ISBN number. I noticed is one of the first things I checked on this book. It does have an ISBN number and everything. How expensive is it for somebody if they want to get into, they want physical copies of the book? Is there, I mean, in my head, I see this is so massive. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to buy a thousand books, right. 5,000 books. Well, I mean, what, how expensive is it to jump into this if somebody wants to publish? Um, my first book that I published, um, you don't put any money into it unless you want to buy books. So Amazon does what they call print on demand. So they'll create the book, they'll list it on their platform, and if you if somebody goes on and, and searches irregardless, they find that book. There's no warehouse that has that book printed. Amazon prints it, they package it up, send it out. And if you buy one copy, they print one copy. If you buy thirty copies, they they'll print out thirty copies. Mm. And so I put for my first book for um, my marriage advice books. I uh, it really was about twenty bucks because I bought four or five copies and and um, that's amazing. It, they make it really easy once you go through the process. Um, it's it's really simple and literally. If I had an idea today and I wrote the book tonight, I could have a printed copy in my hand within three or four days. What an unbelievable! We were talking about this before we started recording. What an unbelievable time to be alive! Yeah. Because in the past, you would have to print out a thousand copies. You'd invest five or ten thousand dollars and you'd have to warehouse those and you'd go out and market them and that sort of thing. Printing press. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Place the individual letters. That's right. Back in those. Yeah. So this takes us to the book that's sitting in front of me right now, which is actually making me hungry. (laughs) Tell us about your newest book. This is the book that my wife and my, uh, mostly my wife has been pushing me to write for a long time. It's called The Chocolate Cake Phenomenon. And it's a more delicious way to minister. And so this, it's just a short book. It, it um, talks about how I've learned over the course of the last uh, several years how, uh, how I can minister to people. And this has really nothing to do with ministering assignments or um, what used to be called home teaching. This is just a way to bless the lives of people. Uh, and I use chocolate cake to do it. So t- talk a little bit about that. How do you use chocolate cake to minister? Well, it started out uh, not... I didn't connect the chocolate cake with the ministry, and my wife was the uh, compassionate service leader in our mm. ward, and I came home from work, and she was making chocolate chip cookies, and she makes great chocolate chip cookies, and they were warm, and they were soft, and I reached out for one, and she slapped my hand away, and, <laughs> and I said, what is wrong? She said, those are not for you, mm. and I asked, who were they for? She was regular to make making meals for people or arranging babysitting. And she said, that's for a family in the ward. And I said, what is going on with the family in the ward that you're making cookies for them? She said, I don't know. 
I don't know. And that was the uh, that was the answer she said a couple times with in different situations that just mm. I, it, I I never connected it until it was about three weeks later that that family called back and said thanks so much for the cookies. That's exactly what we needed, and it didn't make any sense to me. We had another uh, experience uh, around the same time. I got home from work and she had set up some some canning jars and she had put some black eyed Susans from the garden and a ribbon around the neck of the bottom, the jar. And, and, uh, I walk in, Hey, cool flowers. Who are they for? I don't know. Uh, and it was just, I, it didn't even connect with me. And she said, well, we're going to take some to a sister in the ward. Her mother just passed away. And then the rest, I don't know. So we're driving around and she looked at me and we've got these flowers in the car. And she said, so Ken, where are we going next? And the interesting thing was a name popped into my head. And I was a big chicken. I don't know why. I don't know what I had problems with. But she said, um, I told her, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know who to take these flowers to. And she said, let's go visit. And she named the same family whose name popped into my head. It was one of my home teaching families. And we show up there. She takes the flowers up to the wife. And they have this nice chat. And I go to the husband who's in the driveway. They've got a pallet filled with construction debris, bags of concrete bricks and that sort of thing that somebody had just left in the middle of their driveway. I'm the home teacher. Somebody else had just dumped it off. Somebody dumped driveway. it. Construction was going on in the neighborhood. Nobody was taking credit for it, but it was in the middle of their driveway. They couldn't move their car in and out of the garage. So I show up. I'm the home teacher. I, I, of course, I'm going to go help. So it was after, it was actually sometime later, I realized there was something significant that happened there. Um, mm. My birthday's in November. And uh, I used to go buy a big, chocolate cake for myself because nobody else would do it and i <laughs> i would cut up pieces and after i had all that i needed my wife would say it's time to get rid of it so i would there were people in the ward i told you i i know people's buttons and i can use that that natural gift for good and for evil it's a lot more fun to use it for evil sometimes but i would use <laughs> for it for <sure>. good <laughs> and so i knew the people in the ward that like chocolate cake so i would wrap it up and i'd take some to them and I was making one of those visits, knocked on the door, and it was a Sunday evening, and I knew they were home. I could hear, they had a dozen kids or something like that. I could hear the footprints. I, could, I, I knew somebody was home, but nobody answered the door. And I was getting, at the same time, I'm getting this prompting, go visit your home teaching family. And my thought was, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, let me finish delivering this cake. And I knocked again, knocked harder, no answer. And I get the prompting again, go visit your home teaching family. And I called, and nobody answered. I get the prompting again, go visit your home teaching family. And finally, I figured out, oh, I should probably go visit my home teaching family. So I went, just being who I am with my personality, She, the wife opens the door, and I hand her this cake, and I said, the Spirit said, I should bring you chocolate cake. And she took it almost absently, and she put it aside, and she said, thanks so much for coming. Our infant son is sick and needs a blessing. Would you help? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, so then I started to realize there's something significant that's happening. Mm. So it turned into from that, um, I started asking my kids, I would do this ask, you know, consider myself, but I had asked my kids, who do you know who needs chocolate cake? And I make chocolate cake almost every week. And I'll ask my kids, who do you know who needs chocolate cake? And sometimes it's Erica, Erica needs chocolate cake. Well, let's go visit Erica. Well, um, who do you know who needs chocolate cake? I had a kid in my ward last uh, couple Sundays ago. He came up 
Brother Williams, I need chocolate cake. <laughs> so sometimes we do need chocolate cake. Yeah. But it's it's the thing that has been really interesting to me is is I've had people months, years after the fact. I had one uh sister come came up to me uh one time. I was talking about this at girls' camp, and she said, Do you remember a couple years ago when you brought cha- chocolate cake to to our family? And I said, Yeah. She said, That was the worst weekend of my life. And I thought there was something I had done. That, I'm <laughs> sorry, what did cake. I do? And she just explained, we had just moved into the area. We were having some serious medical issues. We didn't know anybody. And you showed up at our house with chocolate cake. And um, I've had enough experiences where people have said, this has been an answer to prayer. I now understand what my wife was thinking when she made those chocolate chip cookies. Mm. I think that there are, there are always the obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always the obvious, right? There's always the... You had somebody die, you had a child born, you had a major life experience, you just lost your job. Those are the easy times to make a lasagna, make cake, flowers, Mm -hmm. or just stop by with a card or a note. Those are the obvious times. Do you think there are a lot of families that either because the exterior looks great or maybe maybe everything is really pretty great, I think sometimes the ones who serve and whose Mm -hmm. life is pretty great are underserved. I think so. I think so. There, um, I joke when I tell the story, uh, I've done firesides and, and I've talked about this, and, and I joke that sometimes Brother Williams needs chocolate cake too. And I mm. think that's true for all of us. And just in case anybody is literally thinking chocolate cake is the answer, it has nothing to do with me and it has nothing to do with chocolate cake. Yeah. I've got a sister-in-law who does cinnamon rolls, and I've got a, uh, a friend in my, my in my steak who says this works with zucchini bread. Yeah, it works with everything. We will go to the grocery store and and get the clearance flowers that are twenty five cents, and we'll um, ask our kids, okay, who do you know who needs flowers? And the spirit will answer that question. And um, I, one of my favorite favorite experiences was. Um, I was out running some errands on a Saturday and I came back to a full nine by 13 pan of chocolate cake with a note. And the note was very apologetic. It was great. Brother Williams, I th- was thinking who needs chocolate cake and I thought you might need it. And it's so wonderful to know that we're remembered. And that I think is one of the big, the big things that this has done yeah. for me. But there was a big, a big piece taken out of this cake. And the note went on to say, my dad said you would want to share with him. And so he took this piece of cake <laughs> before I could bring I it over. I love that. It was so great. And of course, I would share with them. Oh, Ken, that is fantastic. <laughs> That's so cool. So the book is called The Chocolate Cake Phenomenon, A More Delicious Way to Minister. And I love it. And it's, I just think it's fantastic. I appreciate you bringing this, this copy. The book is only, it's about 50 pages. It's a, yeah. a short read, but I think this would be a great, I mean, just a great gift, uh, you know, a nice stocking stuffer or a gift yeah. this Christmas. And we could all use this, right? And I Absolutely. Think, I feel like this really captures the spirit of what the church is doing. Right. That it's a home-centered church. Right. You know, that it's not about go to the church, get your assignment, mm-hmm. then go out and minister. Like, that's right. kind of the base level. It almost feels like this is more of the next level. Which is, you know, who needs it? Ah, oh, Ken, I absolutely love it. So if people want to find the chocolate cake phenomenon, a more delicious way to, to minister, where can they go? 
they can go to Amazon. I've got it on Amazon. Um, that's probably the easiest way because it's a print-on-demand book, and so yeah, it's got a big. You're gonna want chocolate cake once you uh, <laughs> once you see the book because it's got a big, beautiful picture of chocolate cake. Right and I do on. have my recipe in there too. So oh, is it really? It is, Recipes yeah. in there. I had uh, and my my steak knows that I love chocolate cake and. And so yeah, you're kind of the chocolate cake guy. <laughs> like, chocolate I mean, cake we're guy. friends on social media as well. And it, it, you get tagged all the time mm-hmm. with people going, look at this cake I made. It's no Ken cake. But. <laughs> right. So there's a, um, there's a Facebook group that I was not a member of, but somebody sent me a message a couple of months ago um, copying a post that somebody had made asking about this cake. Does anybody know who brought cake to youth conference? And... Um, this person asked me, was this one of your cakes? Well, it probably was because I don't know of anybody else who does this. And this girl said that she would just love to get the recipe. And somebody else responded, oh, he doesn't share his recipe. Well, my theory, my philosophy is the world needs more chocolate cake. I'm absolutely, and it's my mama's recipe. It's, I'm absolutely willing to share the recipe. That is just awesome. How fun. So what's the next book, Ken? Do we know yet? I don't know. I got some feedback on this book that it's not long enough. And so I may work on developing a little bit more, adding a few things and, and uh, making it a little bit more, uh, more robust. I would just say sometimes we need short reads. That's true. Sometimes we need short, satisfying reads. I have a tendency, I'm an avid, avid reader. Um, I have a tendency to go for the seven and 800 page books, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you need to pick me up. And I think this is just such a great thing. And Ken, your attitude is is just fun and and what a great message for our listeners. So the book is the chocolate cake phenomenon. Of course, all of the books that we talked about are available on Amazon. We're about at time. We're going to wrap things up, but it was just so fun being able to sit down and reconnect on this. I highly recommend that you check out this book because it will uh, change the way you look at ministering. We're going to wrap up with, as you know, the question Mm -hmm. we ask all of our guests. (laughs) You're a little bit prepared for it. I always feel bad when sometimes I spring it on people. But uh, Ken Williams, what does being a member of the church mean to you? You know, (laughs) that's that's a great question because every time you ask the question, I think, how would I answer the question? And I think about different ways. For me, number one, um, I don't know. The, the, the church means to me, and there's, I hint about it in this book, but discovering who I am. Mm. And that's without the church, I don't know, I don't know that I would know who I am. And the, the, the faith that I have in my Father in heaven, the confidence that I have in who I am as one of his sons. I don't think I would I would have that otherwise, and I've had experiences where I absolutely, absolutely know that I am a child of God, and that's, and that's one of the whole points of of ministering with chocolate cake is I want people to know that they're loved children of their Father in heaven. Ah, oh, it's awesome. He is a husband, a father. He is a published author, and he makes a mean mean. Chocolate cake. Ken Williams, thank you so much for sharing your Latter day life. Great being We appreciate it. And my special thanks to my dear friend Ken Williams. What a great guy. It was so fun getting to sit down and seeing his energy and his excitement about ministering through chocolate cake. As a little bit of an epilogue, I actually got an email from Ken a few days later. And Ken let me know that I had a chocolate cake coming to me. 
And it's so funny because I got really excited about it. Now I can go out and buy a chocolate cake or whatever, but just the fact that he thought of me. And Ken's very fortunate. Again, he works at FedEx, so he's got a good hookup with shipping. And sure enough, here showed up this cake that he had shipped overnight to me. And getting it, it felt like Christmas. It was so exciting to open up this cake. And I, I'm a sucker for chocolate cake anyway, but I opened it up. I took a bite of it and it is heaven. He's got his recipe in the book. It's unbelievable. It's such good cake. I, you know, I work from home. After I had had a couple of bites of cake, I went back downstairs to my office and my son Keaton got home from school that day. And he came downstairs and he said, hey, what's that cake on the counter? And I explained to him and said, please go up and have a piece. And about 10 minutes later, he came back down and he goes, Dad, that is the best cake I have ever had. And I then that afternoon left town for a few days uh, and I came back and the cake was all gone. So I'm glad I got the couple of bites that I did. But Ken's right. It absolutely is so uplifting and so fun to have someone think of you. And I love his point that it doesn't matter if it's cake or if you make barbecue or enchiladas or flowers or you draw whatever, or just stopping by to spend time with someone. I think it's a great way to minister. And so thank you, Ken. This week in my Latter-day Life, uh, I shared a few weeks ago that we have a new member of our family. We adopted a 19-year-old young man named Cameron. And we have a tradition in our family that I've talked about on this show uh, where I take my children to Disneyland and I get some either one-on-one or one-on-two or three even, you know, I'll take a group of them sometimes to Disneyland and we go spend some time and we walk around and I just love it. I love Disneyland anyway. I love my children, but it's a great place to open up. And sometimes you're in line for a ride or you're having dinner, whatever. There's nothing to do but to sit and talk. And I cherish those trips. And Cameron had heard all about these. My kids all call them daddy trips. He had heard all about them. And so I planned one for him and our son, David, who's 25, to go with us as well. Now, both Cameron and David have some learning disabilities, uh, and they get along amazingly well. And they are so much fun to be with. So we flew out And we decided to stay at the Disneyland Hotel, um, which my favorite hotel in the world. So as we check in, you know, at the Disneyland or Disney World hotels, they always ask, are you celebrating something? And this was really to be a celebration of Cameron's adoption. And so as we checked in, the woman asked, you know, what are you celebrating, if anything? And I said, Cameron, do you want to tell her? And he got a big smile and he said, we're celebrating my adoption. I got adopted. And the woman looked shocked. I mean, Cameron's a little bit older. And she said, you you got adopted. What do you mean? And he said, this is my dad now. This is my dad. He adopted me. And uh, I pointed to David and said, that's his new brother. We're a family now. <laughs> and she got out pins. And if you ever walk around Disneyland, you'll see people with I'm celebrating and it's either my birthday or anniversary or whatever. Well, she made us pins, uh, one for Cameron that said, we're celebrating my adoption. And then David and I each got one that said, we're celebrating Cameron's adoption. And Cameron was so tickled by this that he suggested we wear them the whole trip. So we wore them, we went into the parks, and the first day in the parks, we went in 
to uh, get, there's kind of a special pass that helps out for people with special needs. And we went in to get one of those in the kind of the early part of Main Street right there. And when we went inside, uh, she gave us the pass and she said, tell me about your pins. And Cameron again, beaming, said, I just got adopted. And the woman got so happy, she said, hang tight. She came back with pins that said, uh, I think it says official citizen of Disneyland or unofficial citizen of Disneyland or something like that. I had never even heard of this, uh, but we were made citizens of Disneyland that day, which apparently is something really special. And I didn't even know about it, but we put on those pins as well. So there we were with our two pins each. And everywhere we went, people were asking us. And Cameron would tell them, I was adopted and this is my family. And every time they would get so happy and they'd high five him, they'd congratulate him. And there's a, on the ride Pirates of the Caribbean, there's a character named Red and it's a a woman who is a pirate and uh, she's just a great character. Well, they now have her as a walk around character and Cameron loves taking pictures with characters and we saw Red out walking around out by the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And, and Cameron said, I want to take a picture with her. So we went over, took a picture. And after the picture, she said, tell me about your pin. You must be special because you're a citizen of Disneyland. Tell me about your pin. And Cameron said, again, beaming, I got adopted a few weeks ago. And she looked at me and she said, are you his captain? And I said, I am. I am his captain. And I said, and this is his first mate, his brother, David. And she started to tear up and she literally had to wipe her eyes. And she said, that is so beautiful. And she took a picture with me and Cameron together. And it was just this great moment. And that happened the entire time we were there. And once again, what it reinforced to me is right now we talk a lot about how the family is under attack. And it's true. And I'm a big believer in the proclamation of the family. I think it's just such prescient words uh, within it. But also, I believe that because I believe the family is foreordained, I believe it's eternal, I believe inside each and every one of us, we know that. And you could see that spring up. I don't think it was just that they were happy for Cameron. They were happy for our family. They were happy for families in general. Families are so important. And it was so much fun to celebrate families this week and have people celebrating us being a family and having a family. And I believe that comes from the Spirit. I believe inside we all voted for this plan, every one of us, whether or not we're a member of the church. And I think it's to us to continue to proclaim that the family matters, that the family is important. I also think in the within the doors of our church and in our neighborhoods uh, where we live, I think it's important that we recognize that how important all families are. There are a lot of families that don't look like yours. There are families that don't look like mine. My family almost doesn't look like anybody's. We're such a ragtag collection of people that I absolutely adore. But there are families where a single mom or a single dad is raising children or where one is a one of the uh, spouses is a member of the church and and one is not or where a grandma or a grandpa or an uncle or an aunt has had to step in and has had to be a parent or where there are foster kids or where cousins have had to move in whatever it is 
They are a family and we need to support them and sustain them and do everything that we can in our power to help them, to help them thrive and to help them just feel that love because the family is fundamental. It is foundational. It is something that was so reinforced this week as I saw so many people smiling at the formation of my own family and what a blessing it is. God has not forgotten us. He knows us, and that's why he puts us into families, and it's to us to support one another, because the family truly is magical, and truly is eternal. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you know anyone who would enjoy this show, uh, we would love to have you share it with them. We've picked up a lot of new listeners lately, and it's really been fun. Also, to those of you who have reached out to me by email, thank you. I don't want to name you. I have already replied, but I got some really special emails this last week. If you want to reach out to me, I can be reached at uh, sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. Or you can reach me through Facebook, through Instagram. We are on all the social media. If you're not following us, we'd love it if you would. Uh, This is where we post upcoming guests and follow-ups on guests that we've had in the past. Well, that's about it for this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. (laughs) 